all kinds of life events happen. People have divorce, they have death. And when that happens, sometimes the properties get behind or it's a second home. And for whatever reason, it got behind or can't be maintained anymore. But the bottom line was there's all these loans between 18 and 21. You bought something. Your loan was probably a lot cheaper than now. And those are the houses that we're buying. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great wealth listeners, if you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801 801- 312-9482, or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to us listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to Chris Prefontaine, and I'm pretty sure I butchered the name again, but that's fine. We'll let Chris fix that. If I did, we'll keep you hanging on there. Why I thought Chris would be a great addition to the list of amazing speakers we've had so far One of the big reasons is that where we are in the market right now, in the real estate market, there's capital markets is in flux. People want to make deals. They don't know how to look at the deals. They don't know what makes sense. The liquidity is getting shrunk in the market. Banks are being very strict in giving the loans. And what Chris has a model is, Chris basically has a model, and we'll talk about his story, where he's able to acquire properties without the involvement of the banks. And I would be interested in hearing his perspective for you guys, because for those of you who think this is not the right time to buy real estate. So I'll be talking to those directly here on this show. This show is meant for you where in every market condition, there is a possibility of making a deal if you know how to. Without further ado, Chris, thank you for joining our show, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And you did not butcher the name. You did well on that. You're good. All right. There you go, man. It only took us two takes to get there. Yeah. Well, Chris, before we get into your story, I want to ask a few things and then we'll go into your story and then your introduction will come through the story itself. When you hear the word migrate to wealth, what does it mean to you? I think me personally, it would change every six months or a year, depending on where I am in my life. But for me right now, it's wealth for me is doing the things that money can't buy, which is creating family experiences in particular for my kids and grandkids. It's a little different for me than if you asked me five years ago, right? Yeah, no, that's true. And then wealth is going to, definition of wealth is going to, well, if you ask a 20-year-old, person, chances are they just want to be a billionaire. And as we start aging and are getting wiser, I should say, that definition evolves, it changes, it has more dimensions attached to that. So I love that. It's like the beginning of that would sound like this. So enough wealth and enough money to do the things that wealth and money can't buy. And that's create the experiences. Yeah. I love that. What's the most amazing experience you were able to create recently? We had a goal 30 plus years ago. I've been in real estate 32, so maybe 33 years ago. My wife and I have been married 37 to build a home in Stowe in Vermont in the mountains. And we are about 90% done that goal right now. So that was That's a lot. awesome. Great those experiences. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that. So Chris, let's get into, help us describe to the audience what exactly I tried to do my best 
but I want to hear it from horse's mouth. What is exactly that you do? Yeah. So we, uh, family company, when I say we, my son and son-in-law and the great support team buy real estate in our immediate area. And that's how it started, but without using banks. So we do that by owner financing or what they call subject to existing financing or mm-hmm. lease purchase. Just three ways. I've been at this 32 years, as I was telling you earlier, but we've got demand from like about 10 years ago, people started reaching out and saying, can you teach me how to do that? And it started tiny. We now teach that the way we buy all around the country, North America, but mostly US and have hit the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies the last three years. But it started organically, totally organically. Yeah. Can you help me learn how to do this? Can you get a newsletter out to our group? Can you write this little excerpt? You know, it started very slow and that's what it's morphed into. Awesome. So we'll talk more into what those three ways are because I want to make sure. I think these are very powerful strategies. I have not personally used them all, but I'm aware of all three. So we're going to talk about that. Before we get into that, Chris, let's go back in time when you guys, you, your wife, and I don't know at that time if you had any partners at all, because I'm assuming if you've been doing it for 30 years, you may not have had a kid at that time. Or if they did, they would have been very small. So their involvement have been in the latest cities in life. So when you started, what made you guys jump in real estate? I grew up in a family company, not real estate related. My father owned a welding supply and industrial gas business. But the tie is he would build his own brick and mortar buildings. And then he would have right. his company lease those back from him. And as a kid, I didn't get that. I said, what do you mean? Mm. It's the same person. But now in hindsight, it's pretty cool how he did it. Yeah. And then he would hang out with people that sort of did deals on the side of their businesses, all entrepreneurs. So I was around that. So in college, I'd read the books. And in 91, so I was in my 20s, early 20s, I um, started doing my first deal. And then I've been full-time since then, since 1991. Now, what sparked that was my father's company got bought out and they fired me after like two weeks. So I had no job. That definitely would help. (laughs) No motivation. (laughs) And your first deal, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It was a split-level home, single family. On a golf course, but it had enough extra land to subdivide for another lot. And at the time, one of my partners was good with that. That's how he learned how to do land. So we subdivided it. We kept the home and rented it, eventually sold it. But on the empty land, the vacant lot, we built duplex, which in that particular community, you can condoize. You can make them into condos. So we sold two. They called a zero lot line. So it's like an imaginary line. You can sell them off separately. And we sold those two condos, got most of our money back and kept the house. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Chris, for sharing that. So now that was your first foray into it and seemed like it was very successful being a first deal. And now from there, what happened in your life that you shifted to? I'm assuming you had a bank there because you said you paid off the loan and everything. So I'm assuming at that time there was a bank involved. But you also said, we talked about it, is that now you buy things without involvement of the bank. Right. So what shifted your perspective and why no banks? Yeah, what shifted it was, I called the debacle, but the crash of 2008, right? Because of that, I went into that 2008 to 2012 time period with about 23 different properties, mm-hmm. condominium conversions, commercial, residential, all of them I was on personally signed loans. All of them obviously came looking for me because the market dropped uh-huh. and they needed to be cured. So that was a four-year painful project of trying to get rid of those properties all while trying to figure out what am I going to do once this is all done. So we kind of defined, we were beat up mentally. We can talk about the mindset stuff later, I think, but we were beat up. I was beat up. And I said, what am I going to do if I am going to go back in? And it was not borrow ever and not sign personally ever. Let's Mm -hmm. not go asking for money ever. And let's only buy things with creative real estate. Got it. And this was around 2008? 
Well, he sparked it, but it took me till February of 08. I remember like it was yesterday till February of 12 to get out of all that and get out of my own way mentally. And then in about halfway through 12, I started. Got it. We'll talk about that journey in a second, but let's go back in that time, 2008, 2012, right? Four years of painful journey. What were you feeling at that time? Let's go back in time because the reason I'm asking this question is then for the listeners, it's important is if you hear Chris's story today, He's an overnight success, but he's not an overnight yeah. success. And that's why it's important. That question is that there's a lot of ups and downs that are going to come from everyone's life and they're trying to do investment or business or even at work, life in general. And I want to get deeper into, Chris, first let's describe what did you encounter and yeah. we'll talk about the strategies, how you dealt with it. I wish I could tell you it was simple and I figured out all these strategies right away, but it wasn't yeah. because I was in my head. It was, you know, it's my fault or maybe I can't do this. Maybe I screwed up all those deals like it was all me. Until about, I should have done it in the first year, but it took me about three and a half years to start reaching out to people, mentors, other people Mm -hmm. that I knew had been through things. And once I did, one of them literally chuckled, he laughed because he said what I was going through was nothing compared to what he had experienced. And other people said, Chris, you didn't take the market down. It has nothing to do with you. You need to figure out how to get out. So there were just people telling me, wake up, get out of your own way. And it just took me too long to go ask them. So that I guess there's a bunch of lessons there, but one is go seek help because the success leaves clues like these people you and I see that people think are overnight success. They all went through something at some right. time. All you do is find the one that went through what you went through. And that's what I ended right. up doing. It took three and a half years to do it. And what took you three and a half years? What well, happened in the third year or three and a half year where you actually took action? Do you remember the trigger point? I do. I was just tired of it. We had gone from, I'll give you another visual. We had gone from a two and a half acre estate overlooking Newport Harbor, which is tough to get here on the island, to having to go to a 900 square foot apartment, one bedroom, my wife and I. Luckily, the kids were old enough. They were on their own then. Right. So that was a rather humbling experience. And when I did that, I said, okay, enough. We need to turn this around. I'm sure listeners listening to your story or even the idea across your mind, uh, never do real estate again. It did. Right. It did. It absolutely did. So I was doing some speaking for direct selling companies. They had me developing their territories like all over the world, actually. We went to all kinds of different countries. And I thought that might be the path for a while. And, and all I was doing is masking it. That's all I was doing. So when I figured out, my wife actually encouraged me. I said, we've been married 37 years. So she's encouraged me more than once. But she said, this is your passion. You need to get back into it and get your legs again. And that's what got me back into it. Hmm. Oh, wow, man. That's a very supportive spouse. And Big time, usually, yeah. Usually they are. I'm sure you would do the same thing for her yep. if she was in your shoes. So that's good. And then how did you look for mentors, Chris? How did you build that ecosystem? Because if you had never reached out for help, you may be ready to ask help, but you don't know who to ask help from. Uh, yeah. Did you already have a network and you just didn't tap into it? Well, here's what's interesting as I look back in hindsight. So when times are easy... You and I both know it's easy to go, oh, it's easy. I just talked to this person. You know, yeah. I'm easy. No, no one's challenging you. Right. When I was going through that, I thought, okay, this is what I've been listening to on, on CDs and cassettes back in the day. This is what I've been listening to and studying all these years. Now it's time for me to like act on that stuff. So I knew of a bunch of people. I just hadn't reached out. I knew of one gentleman in real estate who was in his 70s. I knew of a vendor during when I was building houses in the 90s that I looked up to. He ran a lot of businesses. So I called him just as a friend. I quoted him in my book because he gave me some advice. Nice. So there were just people that were in the network somewhere that I was probably afraid to reach out to at first. Got it. Let's go fast forward now. So 2012, 2013 is time frame. You are now ready to launch yourself and you made a promise to yourself and to your wife at that time, never again sign a personal guarantee on the loan and never again depend on a bank, right? 
Yep. So help us with that journey. How did you find out how to do that? It's one thing to make that promise to yourself. It's a very different thing to execute on the promise. Because yeah, I know agree. this industry is not very forgiving right. and you have to really earn your stripes in this industry. So help us understand the journey. Yes. Sure. So this stuff's been around forever, right? Like owner financing, for example, if you read on it, has been around since 1600s before banking. So yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't around. I just needed to, all those years prior to the crash, 18 years in real estate, I knew of it peripherally, but never delved into it. So I just started researching it online is all I did with between videos, trying to put together different programs. Nobody had like everything under one roof. Right. I remember I started my first few deals with simple lease purchase deals because they didn't require buying anything. They didn't require as much risk. I wasn't ready for it mentally. Mm -hmm. but that's how I started. I started doing lease purchase deals and then understood if I buy them, okay, that's more lucrative for a lot of reasons. Right. Let's not jump into the three things you were talking about. I think that you used three technical terminologies. We're going to talk about those, and I want, I want you to dig deeper into what they are. I think we talked about owner financing. Yep. The second one, we talked about subject twos. Mm -hmm. The third thing, we talked about lease purchases, right? So help yep. the listeners understand, because I want to make sure that we have a theme of no investor left behind. So I want to make sure everyone can understand the terminology before we move forward. In the sure, interview. I appreciate that. So owner financing is nothing more than if you've ever bought a home, you had a settlement statement and on that settlement statement, a bank was listed because they brought new money to the table. They lended you the money. In an owner financing deal, just like this business I'm standing in this building, instead of a new bank on that line, it was the owner's name. They became the bank. That's all it is. So I make payments Perfect. monthly for the seller. That's it. That's awesome. The second one was subject to? Subject to is a little interesting because it's the opposite of what I look for in owner financing is free and clear properties, no mortgage. They don't need help financially. They just want a nice deal. Subject two, on the other hand, typically is someone that was willing to sell you their home, but they're willing to stay on the loan while I take over the deed. So that lends itself to usually, hey, I need help financially. Just Got get it. this on me. So that stays in their name. And so I own this, I can own the same amount of properties, but I can own them without being on the loans. And picture what rate you and I saw a few months ago or a few years ago, two, three, four percent. Yeah. That's what we're buying properties at right now. We're going to revisit that. Last one, lease purchase. What does that mean? Simple. You control the property. You don't own it. No deed transfers for a whopping $10 deposit in our contract. You can control the property. All you do is now enter into the lease agreement with the owner with a definitive buy date that's contingent upon the third-party buyer you find that's eventually mm -hmm. going to cash that deal out. Perfect. I'm going to summarize that in my words. You tell me if I did justice to sure. what you tried to tell me in a few, a few minutes here. <laughs> so I think the, we'll go bottom up. So when you're trying to buy a property... Let's say you're trying to get into the game. Lease purchase is probably going to be the safest option because what you're saying is for a minimal amount of down payment, you're buying an option to purchase a property at a future date. And both these prices, your down payment for that, for the lack of better words, and your exercise price, they're both locked in at the day you sign that contract. Correct. Right? So you're controlling the property as right now. You don't necessarily have the right to the property because your name is not on the, you don't have the name on the deed. But right. everything else you're able to control there. So that's lease purchase. The second one is a little bit higher, which is you go at a distressed seller where there's something going on in their life and they need capital bad. They want to not necessarily get out of the deal, but they want that headache removed from them. And you right. as a, an investor at that point partner with the seller saying, hey, I'm willing to pay you X price, which is usually going to be market price minus some delta because it's a distressed seller. And then at that point, they continue to stay on the deal, on the loan. And instead of them making the mortgage payment, you make the mortgage payment. 
That's subject to. And right. the holy grail is really the owner financing where the owner pretty much owns the property outright. That's how usually the, 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 the like, owner yeah. financing work, usually. There's no bank loan or anything pending. And what you're saying is this property is owned free and clear to you. We're going to give you an X amount of down payment. And why don't you just finance us the remaining portion at a certain percentage? And what I really wanted to now go into is, first of all, did it make sense? Did I say it right? Yep, absolutely. Awesome. So you said something which caught my attention. I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners' attention as well, which is you're buying properties right now on the interest rates that are 2 to 3% or 4%. And right now, if you go out and take a loan in the market, it's like 7 8 9%, depending upon who, yeah. what property it is, what kind of LTV you're putting in. Tell us more about that. Yeah, we had a student this week do one at 2.2%. Mm. So how does, that, how does that work? Well, all kinds of life events happen. People have divorce, COVID, leftover problems. They have death. And when that happens, sometimes the properties get behind. Or it's a second home and for whatever reason, it got behind or can't be maintained anymore. Yeah. I forget the scenario of the one this gentleman did. But the bottom line was there's all these loans that were you know between, let's just say between 18 and 21, you bought something. Your loan was probably a lot cheaper than now. And those are the houses that we're buying. So I don't know if we'll ever see those rates again, but you yeah. can literally, if you learn how to do this just to buy your own personal home, not even as a business, think of the benefits there. I think you'd have a happy spouse. <laughs> oh, very happy spouse and a bigger house for the same amount of payment, right? Exactly. Let's talk about that. I think that's an important point, right? So now it all depends upon what the underlying interest rate on that loan was, mm-hmm. right? So in this specific example, we're talking about if somebody were to take on a loan in the last three to four years, we're talking about low single digit numbers, like two to 3% is usually probably, we weren't surprised if you can right. find that. Now the goal there is to find somebody who has a situation, as you said, divorce or whatever, there's going to be a situation where they will not be able to get out of that property because right. they can, or they want to get out of the property, but they don't know how, and they have a divorce or they have a death in the family or whatever it is. Now you're trying to, at that point, partner with that seller saying, you know what, I can take that headache off of your head, but I don't want to refinance the loan because that 2%, 3% loan is what's very enticing. I'm willing to give you a little bit more price, maybe, but I want to keep that loan. Is that how it usually works, transaction, Chris? Sometimes we have to do what you said, like give them a little bit more, but by nature of the person going through that challenge, usually we're buying the sub twos for exactly what's due on the loan. Got it. So if it's 230 due, that's what we're buying for, plus any arrears. Like we had one, we had to catch up $4,100. Okay, so that would be added to the price, right? Technically, because okay. you had to put that money in. Right. And then, of course, they can't afford usually a transfer tax or any closing fees. So we usually have to pay that. That's why it's not a strategy for the brand new person or the mm-hmm. person doesn't have a, just a teeny bit of capital. Like I'm talking a few yeah. thousand, not right. tens of thousands. Right. So Chris, this is actually very, very interesting, right? Because I think what we're saying now is for someone who's starting out and listening to the show and they don't necessarily, they want to venture out into real estate or there could be another demographic where they're shying away from real estate because all they've done is they've bought four or 500K properties. All they've seen is appreciation. Yep. Right? Because over the last several years, a monkey could buy a real estate, it'll go up. Yep. Now is where you have to be very careful. So if they were, to, the question from that person's perspective would be, first of all, I think we talked about why would somebody sell it because they have a distressed situation. How would you find these people? Yeah, we don't seek out the, like specifically that person. What we do is we speak with, our virtual assistants do first, but we speak with expired listings that didn't sell with relatives mm-hmm. for sale by owners, not too dissimilar than other people for rent by owners, 
But then if there's not enough lead flow for that particular student in that particular market, then we'll tack on things like, let's look for free and clear uh, properties. Let's look for absentee owners, out-of-state owners. That's a great one right Mm. now. Let's look for properties that were bought between, say, 19 and 22 to get those rates. You could buy a list, as you know, on literally anything. You pick right. a criteria, you can buy a list. Right. So that's those are ways we find them. So, Chris, another question that I had for you was, is there, are there certain markets where this strategy works good versus another? For example, I'm in North Carolina right now. It's not a surprise to you, at least, as a lot of migration is happening from north to south and North Carolina being one of these states. In a state like that, people may have issues, as we described about, they may have divorce issue or whatever, life issue in general, There'll be so many people moving in that they won't have problems selling that property because there's somebody always looking for it in a state like that because there's more buyers than sellers. So I actually have two things to say about that. Please, let's talk about that. First, very generically, it works in any market. It works within a 50-mile radius of any one of my students across the country. So it's not market-driven. It could go from 50 grand homes to 2 million. It doesn't matter. But interestingly, what you just said, people migrating, say, to North Carolina, there are about 80% of the buyer pool right now that cannot qualify for a loan in their current mm. state. Now, some might not take two years, but some may need only three months. But the point is, if you speak to any top mortgage brokers right now, 80 to 82% that apply cannot qualify. That's an enormous number. Yeah. Those buyers can enter our program through the rent-to-own program, and we can help so many of those. So see, there's two ends of this that really work. Got it. Yes, I was thinking about more from an investment perspective. You're actually right. right that you can actually, and I think you did say that, I missed out on that, it's also available to folks to buy your own primary residence, right? I mean, yeah, you have that. to work towards that, but it's definitely yep, available. Got it. And if somebody's looking for investment purposes, Chris, how do you run your due diligence on something like that? Is this versus buying... Let's say a single family home that I want to live in versus buying an office building or yeah. a distressed seller. Uh, do you do different due diligence checks than you would otherwise? Not really. We still do as many years as I've been in the business and my son and son-in-law, we still do home inspections because like the oceanfront home I mentioned that we bought, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned on the show, <laughs> my shows are blending. But the fact is we bought that and we did a home inspection. Place was immaculate. What we found was there was an interior crack in this very expensive water tank. Mm-hmm. I would have known that. I'm not going to look right. at it. You know? So we always do an inspection just for our own good. Okay. That makes sense. You would repeat exactly the same stuff that, that you would have if you were to buy your own property. Yeah. It's just that you're buying it differently. Like the yeah. transaction looks a little different. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And Chris, I know you were talking about, you have a method that you teach your students. Could you talk about that? What does that program look like? Yeah, so I was frustrated coming out of the crash that you and I already talked about with all this marketing coming at me with different programs. And to this day, I speak to people on my own podcast and they say, yeah, we don't do coaching. We just really good at selling product. Then I'll get the call every week that says something like, hey, Chris, I spent tens of thousands of dollars on programs, but I haven't done a deal yet. Yeah. So every conversation starts and they say, so how are you different? So how we're different is We actually do the deals with the student in the field that I'm talking about helping them with scripts, helping them with a seller, helping them with a buyer. So it's very interactive. I don't know Mm -hmm. of a better way to learn. And this is anything, not just real estate, than interactive on the fly, back and forth. So we revenue share on deals. We have a vested interest with them. Awesome. And when you say, because there's a lot of programs where the person who sold the coaching program is different than the coach. Right. Um, because a person in your program, how does that work? Are you coaching you, your son-in-law coaching, or do you have 
assistant coach? How does that work? I still coach at the highest level in our community. So those are the people that are really committed. They might be coming from a high paying job, but they want out, you know, so they got big, big goals and they're very committed. So I work with them. And then I have only people that have come through the highest level being coached by me can then later on after they've proven themselves become a certified coach. Never an outsider. Never an outsider. Okay, that's helpful. Because I know you have a conference coming up. Talk to us about that. Yeah, we do two live events a year. Thankfully, we're back at it after COVID. So this one coming up is called QLS Live event. That stands for Quantum Leap System. That's our main program. And we fly people in from all the country. Some Canadians come, a couple hundred people in a ballroom. We'll have mostly our team there and then a couple outside speakers. We only, only bring in outside speakers that are really part of our dream team. We've proven with them some track record. You know, they're not just paid speakers that come in to just yeah. sell something or speak about something. I love that. When are the dates of that? That's September 13, 14, and 15 this year. And there's no better time to be in Newport, Rhode Island then because all the tourists left and it's still beautiful. Perfect. That's awesome. Is it a hybrid event where people can dial in virtually or no? This is just we, we didn't do that the last two events. Production-wise, no. After COVID, we've been doing just live. Okay, that's perfect. And Chris, who is this approach not good for? As far as the seller side? Yeah. The person or family that truly needs their equity out to go buy something else. Like they say, no, I am going over here for, with my kids and wife and family and I need this money out. There's no way around it. I say, okay, then I'm not your buyer. If I say, what is your plan B if that doesn't sell? And they say, well, then maybe we can talk. I might call them back. Or they say, no, 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 I have to. I'm going to lower it until it sells. You know, it just depends. Yeah. And the reason for that is because they're getting paid in installments, correct? Yeah, they're going to wait for the money over time or get installments. Right. So either way, it's time, right? Right. So our approach usually works better for the person that's distressed or the person that's very perfectly well off financially wants the most money and can wait for it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. We're getting to the last section of our show here. So we'll usually end with two or three questions. The first question is, if you were to go back in time in your 20s, what's one insight you can share with that person now? So many ways I could do this, but I think the one that comes to mind is there is someone or more than one person out there that has done what you want to do, Right. go find them, model that, and stay with that for three to seven years. Don't get shiny object syndrome. I think that that makes a lot of sense because that's what is the problem with most of the people. Today, I want to do this. Tomorrow, I want to do something else and without really giving it to the time and the attention. That's great. Chris, next question, buddy. Where do you feel there's a gap in humanity right now that we need to, that collectively as a society, we need to fill? I'll be very, very generic here, I think, in my eyes. And that is, more very basic, bare bones, people helping people. Yeah. And get rid of all the other crap. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense because that's really what it ends out to be eventually. Why do you believe that's a gap right now? What's the motivation behind the gap? Do you have a point? I think there's a, a lot of, I'll call it minutia. Like, I don't watch the news, right? But if you turn yeah. on for even 10 minutes, it's just awful. There's just so much other right. minutia there instead of how can we help? And I'll keep it at that so I don't get politically involved or any other reason. I'm not. I just want people to just be open to helping. That's great. Chris, last question before we uh, end the show. Is there any question you wish I had asked you during the show that could benefit our audience? I'll give you this. You did an awesome job. The answer is no, but I'll give you this since you gave me the space. This could be for real estate. This could be, I don't care what business you want to do. You can open a restaurant with this formula. Three simple steps. Find a niche. In this case, let's talk real estate, but it could be Mm -hmm. anything. Find a niche in real estate that you can get behind. You just morally, passionately, you just love it. 
Yeah. Secondly, find what I would have told my 20 year self, find a person who's done what you want to do. Like they've been in a couple market cycles, they've been through some life challenges and therefore they can guide yeah. you and then put the blinders on for three to seven years. Simple three steps, easier said than done. I love that. Let me repeat that. Find a niche in anything. And that's true for real estate or your career or your business or whatever you want to do. Find a person who has done that before. Try to learn from them. And there it is. Put a blinder on. Just stick with that once you've found the niche. And then spend more time in finding the niche than before you jump on it. But once you've picked it, just stay with it. Chris, buddy, this has been amazing. Thank you again for taking the time and coming on our show. We really appreciate that. I know you have an offer for our audience because you have a giveaway. Let's talk about that. I almost forgot because we did this in two stages. We have a couple of our best-selling books. We have four, but we have two of them that are more like, okay, tell me more about this. Uh, Real Estate on Your Terms and Deal Structure Over Time, where we go into deal structure and how that works. Mm -hmm. Just go to Wicked Smart Books with an S, Wicked Smart Books dot com forward slash migrate the numeric number one so migrate one perfect we'll make sure we include that in the show notes below and thank you for the generous offer for chris thank you i'm sure the audience will drive a lot of value from that thank you Love again it. thanks for having me all right take care migrate to other listeners it is possible that you could defer paying high tax bill by completing a 1031 exchange and invest your real estate capital gains into a qualified replacement property my friend Ray DeWitt at Bangerter Financials is your single point of contact for 1031 exchanges and tax saving strategies. To learn more, call him at 801-312-9482. That's 801-312-9482. Or visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com forward slash 1031 guy. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.